Welcome to another edition of Return to the Word Radio with Bible teacher Mark Fontecchio. Advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now with today's message, here is our teacher. It's good to be back with you again. We're picking up right where we left off in our study of Daniel. We left off in verse 18 in Daniel chapter 3 with Nebuchadnezzar commanding Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to worship the golden image that he had set up. They refused, and when Nebuchadnezzar demanded to know what God was able to deliver them, they stood their ground, telling the king that the God of Israel was able. But even if God chose not to, they would not worship this man-made image. Try to keep in mind as we move forward in our text the meaning, the impact this would have had on the Hebrew people. Living in captivity under the rule of Babylon, living in a culture which expected them to worship false gods. It was not just the lives of these three men at stake. All of the Hebrew people would take note of the events of Daniel chapter 3. Worship of this statue was demanded. The coming storm of persecution for all of the Hebrew people was intense. But the result of the miracle in our text is that the Hebrew people were granted religious freedom, freedom to worship their God. Follow with me as I read our text. Daniel 3, we begin again with verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent, and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace." Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. And the satraps, administrators, governors, and king's counselors gathered together and saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be an ash heap, because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. In the middle of the second century, in Asia Minor, in the city of Smyrna, persecution broke out against Christians, and some were put to death for their faith. 
At that time, the Christian faith was seen as a dangerous cult that needed to be stopped. So the emperors of Rome unleashed bitter attacks on the followers of Christ. The best way to damage a church is to cut off its leaders. And the leader of the church at Smyrna was a disciple of the Apostle John. His name is known to us as Polycarp. For a time, the believers hid Polycarp in the countryside, but eventually the authorities caught up to him. Polycarp was well advanced in years, but still it's reported that he welcomed the men that came to arrest him as if they were old friends and he gave them food and drink. He asked for an hour to pray. His wish was granted and one hour stretched into two hours. Those that came to arrest him, they heard his prayers and wondered what they were doing arresting an old man like this. As Polycarp was brought into an arena, instead of begging for his life, the proconsul actually pleaded with him to just curse Christ so that he would be released. His reply, 86 years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? Before Polycarp was burned alive, he prayed, looking toward heaven, thanking God that he was counted worthy to be numbered as a martyr for Christ. Now, in our text before us, we are directly confronted with three other men that were willing to stand in the flames, refusing to deny their God. If you stop and think about it, the three men of our text, it would have been very easy for them to cave into the pressure. After all, the one thing that the men and women of both Judah and Israel had plenty of experience with was worshiping idols. This is one of the sins that constantly plagued the Hebrew people. But as we are about to see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Bendigo, they refused to compromise. We start again in verse 19. Notice the text. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. You get the idea when you study this passage that Nebuchadnezzar was a hothead. He had a serious anger problem. In our last study in verse 13, the Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar was in a rage and fury. But he must have had a little bit of reasoning left in him at that time because he gave the men another chance to worship the image. Verse 19 starts by saying that Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury and that the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar had reached his boiling point. He lost it. The guy must have spent a fairly decent amount of time and money planning out this event. And these three guys, hey, they were ruining it for him. The last half of verse 19 states that the king commanded his servants, make that thing as hot as it gets. Also keep in mind that in that culture, seven times hotter was considered to be the ultimate punishment. Now, the funny thing is, is a hotter furnace actually meant less punishment. The hotter the furnace, the quicker they died and the less they would have suffered. But by stoking the furnace hotter, it did show the quick and the decisive punishment of the king. It made an example out of these three men who had been promoted to a position of leadership. It showed that the king meant business because he was willing to execute some of his highest ranking officers. Stop and think about the tension here that must have been taking place. All of the leaders were there. The workers were fueling up the fire. Nebuchadnezzar had ordered their death. He had challenged their God, and everyone was waiting for the fire to heat up the furnace. Verse 20 says that the king commanded his mighty men of valor from his army. Some translations say strong warriors, the best of the best, the toughest men in his army. These were the Marines. These were the Navy SEALs of their day. They tied them up so they wouldn't be able to escape. 
Normally in that day, if you were a criminal, your clothes would be taken from you before you were burned. Yes, Nebuchadnezzar was in a hurry, but I think the reason they were allowed to keep their clothes on, it points to the sovereign protection of God. Not only would they live, but to have your clothes torn off in front of such a large crowd would have been humiliating. Keep in mind that God delivers them from this situation, and we'll see in just a little bit that not even their clothes smelt like smoke when they came out, which demonstrated the ultimate protection by God. Even their clothes were fine. Just a couple of things I was thinking about when I was looking at this the other day is first that King Nebuchadnezzar was really a man of extremes. His image he had made was huge. He had to have all of the officials there. And the penalty for not worshiping had to be the most extreme by dying in a fiery furnace. These men disobeyed, so he has the furnace stoked as much as he could, and he had his strongest men bind them up. The other thought I had, I think part of Nebuchadnezzar using his men of valor might have been because of the conversation he had with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego back in verses 15 through 18. Nebuchadnezzar had made that challenge, wanting to know what God would be able to deliver them. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar had seen the God of the Jews deliver the dream and its interpretation to Daniel. So he knew there was some real power there. And you really have to put yourself back into the mindset of their day, in that culture, and in what they believed about the gods. Nebuchadnezzar would have wanted to use his strongest men to keep the Jewish God from intervening. That seems a little foreign to our thinking, but not in that day, because they did not see gods as all-powerful. In verse 21, they're bound up and cast in. But take a look at verse 22, because Nebuchadnezzar had made this fire so hot, it killed his strong men, his mighty men, so much for his challenge to the God of the Jews. His strongest men he had could not survive, just getting close to the furnace. But notice that verse 22 says that the fire killed those who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This furnace was probably shaped like an old-fashioned milk bottle made out of thick adobe would have had two openings. One was on the side. This was to take out all the ashes, and this is where they would throw the wood or the coal in. The other opening was up on top where they would insert the ore for smelting. This is where they would push people in that were sentenced to death. But the top of the furnace was so high they actually had a ramp, and the soldiers would escort the prisoners up the ramp, and then they would just simply push them in. These were the best soldiers, the strongest soldiers that Nebuchadnezzar had. This is an important detail because it tells the reader that the strongest men could not even get close enough to the furnace to push them in without getting killed. So the idea here is that if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were going to live, it would not be simply because they were strong. It was going to take a sovereign act of God. In his fit of rage, Nebuchadnezzar was actually hurting himself. He did himself a disservice because some of his best soldiers were now dead. Now, any normal fire would have killed the three Jews, but he insisted on making it hotter. You know, decisions made in anger tend to be counterproductive. Verse 23 informs us here that all three Jewish men fell down into the furnace still tied up. And as we're about to see that not only did the soldiers on the outside of the furnace die, but these three men inside the furnace lived. Put yourself in their shoes. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had confidence that God could deliver them. They knew full well that God might not, but they knew that he could. But if you're them and you're looking for a miracle to take place, when would you expect it to happen? You would expect something to happen before you were actually going into the fire. 
So as they're going in, you kind of got to think that they might have been thinking to themselves that God was not going to deliver them. And you also have to figure that Nebuchadnezzar was probably thinking that their God could not do it. He could not save them. So the stage is set for God to intervene and show Nebuchadnezzar his power. Notice the wording of verses 24 and 25. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Up until this point, King Nebuchadnezzar was sitting back at a safe distance to watch these men be executed. As he was watching through the side door, he notices something. Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He rose in haste. Then he asked his advisors, didn't we only throw three men into the fire? Again, notice the details because the details confirm for us that God intervened. The advisors agreed there were only three men, but now four men were in the furnace. But they were no longer tied up. They were all walking around and no harm was coming to them. It's interesting how detailed and accurate God's word is. Because in verse 23, it clearly tells us that when the men fell into the furnace, they were still bound up. They were still tied up. But here in verse 25, they were walking. It's possible that God allowed the fire to burn away their ropes which would have meant that God allowed the fire to help them instead of hurt them. The fact that they were walking around on the inside of the furnace tells us that this thing was big. They were in the midst of the fire, but notice that Nebuchadnezzar mentioned that they were not hurt. Remember, he was on the outside. His view wasn't perfect. He couldn't see everything. But keep in mind, they killed people all the time. And when someone was being burned alive, they screamed as they died. So he would have known that something that defied all normal logic was taking place. Instead of three men screaming as they burned alive, four men were walking around. At the end of verse 25, the text states that the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Now here's where we need to be very careful. We're always looking for the original intent of the text. So be careful we don't read into this text something that's not there. In that day, the reference in the Babylonian culture that someone was like a son of the gods, it doesn't necessarily mean that this was Christ. It was a reference to a person being supernatural, literally from the gods. The term son in the Aramaic had the basic meaning of resemblance. So the phrase son of gods was used to refer to anyone who is dignified or majestic in appearance. Later on in verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar referred to this person as an angel. But in the Aramaic, the term for angel could actually refer to deity. So once again, it could go either way. In that culture, it was very common to believe that different gods would appear in human form and protect those who worshipped them from the persecution of others. Now, looking at the evidence, this might have been the pre-incarnate Christ, as we see in the book of Joshua. Or then again, it might have been an angel. It's just hard to know for sure. But either way, God, God intervened. God safely delivered these three men from all harm. But I think the intent of the text was to tell us that Nebuchadnezzar probably just took this as someone of divine origin, who was connected to the Hebrew faith that came to protect these young men. Nebuchadnezzar was standing face to face with a miracle. The Hebrew God answered his challenge. In verse 26, the king gets closer, close enough to shout to the men inside so that he could be heard above the roar of the furnace. The king instructs them to come out, but notice what he calls them. He refers to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as servants of the Most High. 
Literally, this means servants of the highest God that there is. Now, this is quite the change from the challenge he had put forth to their God earlier in the chapter. I think by calling them out, he was admitting defeat. What an unbelievable event that was taking place. Nebuchadnezzar had done all he could to make sure that his power was demonstrated. And with this large gathering of officials there, they could all see what was taking place. Nebuchadnezzar admits defeat. They climb out of the furnace, but nothing is mentioned about the fourth person, whether it was Christ or an angel. Nothing is mentioned about the fourth person coming out of the furnace. The fourth person just seems to disappear. And the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. All the officials gathered around, the satraps, the administrators, the governors. These were the three highest-ranking types of officials in the empire. Nebuchadnezzar had gathered these men together to have them witness his power, and they end up being a witness of the power of God. Notice what the text says. First, it says that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was the hair on their head singed, nor were their garments damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. I think the last one is the one that amazes me the most, that they didn't even smell like smoke. Every one of us has been in a home for a short time where someone smoked, and after just being there a little bit, your clothes smell like smoke, and you have to go home and shower just to get that stink off you. And these three men were thrown into an actual fire, and verse 27 says that they didn't even smell like smoke. That is amazing. Hair is normally the first thing to burn. Even a bald man knows that. But the hair on these men was not affected by the fire. Their skin wasn't red. Their clothes were unaffected. The text literally states that the clothes of these men was unchanged. Not even a mark of soot or ash was on the clothes of these men. For this official event, they probably had their uniforms and fine clothes on. These men were still dressed and ready to go. You know, the definition of a miracle is when there's no physical, natural explanation of an event, and God's sovereign power is unmistakable to everyone involved. This was a miracle. Their God had indeed been able to deliver them from the fiery furnace, just as they had boldly testified in verse 17. You know, their faith is mentioned in Hebrews 11.34, that their faith in God quenched the violence of fire. Yahweh triumphed over the tyrant who had dared to defy him. Nebuchadnezzar made quite the statement in verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar responds to his officials that were gathered around, and he declares that the Hebrew God, the God who had delivered them from the furnace, was blessed. And the thought expressed here shows that Nebuchadnezzar now had some reverence towards their God. What a contrast. What an amazing contrast we see from the first part of this chapter, where Nebuchadnezzar made a direct challenge to God, asking, what God was able to deliver them. Now having witnessed their God do just this, he declares publicly that their God is blessed. And he also acknowledges that they were right in violating the king's command because they were obedient to the highest God there is. Notice though that he still just said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The pagan idea of gods in that culture had no problem with expressing that there was other gods. Nebuchadnezzar was recognizing that their God delivered them, but he wasn't necessarily saying here that he is the only true God. Notice also in verse 28 that at first when these three men refused to worship the image, it made him angry. 
Now he states that the men trusted and were faithful to their God. So he is admitting his respect of the men. This was quite an admission for the king to make, for him to admit that their God delivered them and that not only was he defeated in his plans, but that he had respected the men for their stand of faith. Pretty remarkable the king said such a statement in front of the leaders of this empire. Read verse 29 again. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made in ash heap because there is no other God who can deliver like this. There are a few different things taking place here. First of all, Nebuchadnezzar is slowly moving forward in his understanding of God. Back in chapter 2, verse 47, all he stated to Daniel was that his God was the God of gods and a revealer of secrets. It was believed that the gods used messengers to carry out their will. Nebuchadnezzar seems to have viewed the fourth person in the furnace as a messenger from Yahweh. The fact that their God protected these men from the furnace and from the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, who worshipped Nebu, it meant that Nebuchadnezzar now saw Yahweh as superior over all other gods and sovereign over his own God, Nebo. This is why he ordered the decree, ordering everyone to respect Yahweh and to say nothing against him. Now, what's so amazing about this proclamation is that Nebuchadnezzar had just spoken against their God minutes before this when he suggested that their God couldn't deliver them. Nebuchadnezzar's decree had to make people think the priests in the temples of the Babylonian gods, the common person on the street, every true Babylonian that heard this decree must have wondered about what had happened for a king of Babylon to make such a decree. But because of this, the Jewish faith was now a recognized religion in the Babylonian empire. The Jewish people just received the freedom to worship their God, all because three men, refused to cave to a pagan king. At this point, Nebuchadnezzar would have still worshipped the pagan gods. Nothing suggests that at this point he was placing his own faith in Yahweh, but the chapter starts out with Nebuchadnezzar attempting to unite everyone under one religion by forcing men to worship this image. It ends with Nebuchadnezzar acknowledging that Yahweh is sovereign and giving the Jews the freedom to worship. Nebuchadnezzar realized no other god could deliver his people like the god of the Hebrews. So once again, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were promoted in the province of Babylon. The lesson to be learned is that not only can God reveal the future like he did in chapter 2, but it is the one true God, Yahweh, who is sovereign and in control, even when his people face dark and difficult times during our time on this earth. A little over 700 years ago, there was a man named John Huss. I certainly would not agree with him on some of his doctrines, but I do appreciate the stand he eventually took against the Roman Catholic Church. John was born in 1374 to a humble family. He was ordained a priest in 1401. He spent much of his career teaching at Charles University in Prague and preached at Bethlehem Chapel, where 3,000 people packed in to hear his sermons. Now, the written works of John Wycliffe made their way to him, and in the days before the printing press, he copied Wycliffe's books by hand for his own personal use. John got himself into trouble when he began to speak out against the Catholic Church. He spoke out because the Catholic Church was corrupt. He spoke out because he believed that the Word of God, the Bible, should be the authority in the Church, not the Word of the Pope. He believed the simple teaching of God's Word should be an important part of worship. He spoke out because he believed Christians should seek to live in a manner that is pleasing to Jesus Christ. John was arrested, tried, 
convicted and sentenced to death. He was kept in prison for seven months, but the day for John Huss to die arrived on July 6, 1415. Nearly 2,000 years after Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood in the fiery furnace, they placed a paper cap on his head that was supposed to look like a crown to mock him. It had figures of devils on it with the inscription, This is a heretic. His lips did not tremble. His face did not go pale. First they tied him up with wet ropes, so when the fire started the ropes would still hold him. Then they tied him up with a chain. Chains were then fastened to his left leg and then his neck. Securely bound to the stake, the wood was piled up to his chin. Straw was placed beneath and between the wood. He was told to renounce his heir. His response was, quote, In the truth of the gospel, which I have written, taught, and preached, I die willingly and joyfully today. The fire was started. The flames were driven by the wind and rose around his body. He began to sing, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, have mercy on me. The smoke blinded him. The flames were above his head, but yet he continued to sing, Thou that takest away the sins of the world, have mercy on me. Finally, the flames engulf him. His head fell to his chest. The fire does its work, and a heap of ashes is all that remains of John Huss. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a biblical faith, a faith that does not pretend to know all of God's ways a faith that does not pretend that nothing bad ever happens to God's people. They could have burned just like Polycarp and just like John Huss. But for all these men, death was more appealing than disobedience to Christ. It was to the church of Smyrna that Christ instructed in Revelation 2.10, Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Listen to the words of 1 Peter 3. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Earlier in chapter 1, Peter wrote that believers are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have been grieved by various trials. One more passage and we'll put all this together. Shortly before the Apostle Paul was executed, the Holy Spirit inspired him to write in 2 Timothy 4, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Here's the message. Here's the summation of the instruction from the apostles about this. Stand for Jesus Christ. Don't fear persecution. Be faithful to the Savior. Our hope is in Christ. Our salvation is reserved in heaven. Rejoice in this truth, even though we may go through trials. 
The Lord is faithful. He promises to never leave us. He will stand with us. He will strengthen us. And to him belongs the glory because no matter what comes our way, we are 100% secure in Jesus Christ if you've placed your faith in Christ for your salvation. This is the message that we build our faith on, knowing that we can trust God in all things and knowing that to him belongs all the glory, honor, and praise. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word 